0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Cipher, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. No capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. That is again at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. So I'm just gonna jump right into it because we're. Kind of at a slow point in the season, right? And I'm not going to bore you guys any more than you guys obviously are, if you're like me. Because when there's not much NFL news, I get pretty bored. I imagine most of the listeners of the podcast feel the same exact way. And I'm just going to talk about, I'm at least going to open up talking about what you're all here to hear me talk about. Lamar Jackson. 2019 NFL MVP, Lamar Jackson, one of, if not the best rushing quarterback in the history of the league, has requested a trade, and apparently this is old news. Apparently, this happened on March 2nd, all right, March 2nd. And it took us that's only to hear about it. Now, the reason for that is because he doesn't have an agent. I talked about Lamar Jackson's contract situation, how he's technically on the team. He's on a non-exclusive franchise tag, meaning he's technically on the open market, but he is on a team, right? And it's a situation people don't really know. It kind of happens every year, but this is the first time we actually care that a player is on the market in a very long time, or at least for as long as I've been following the NFL. It's the first time that we actually care that a player is on a franchise tag, and it's not exclusive, and the player is on the open market. This is the first time in my career. Can I call it a career yet? In my... Yeah, sure. In my career following the NFL. That the player that's on the franchise tag or a player on a franchise tag. Isn't only on the open market, but we actually care that he's on the open market because he's worth the two first round picks that a team would have to give up in order to acquire him. This is the first time. And I talked about this when it first happened, when he first got tagged. But now he requested a trade, so now it's relevant again. But I do want to say it doesn't really change much because, like I just said, he was on the open market anyway. So it's not like, oh, yeah, now Lamar's definitely out of Baltimore. I don't know if that's the case. I don't even know if him threatening to hold out definitively makes him out of Baltimore. I don't know. I don't think anything makes him definitively out of Baltimore. Because here here's the problem with this entire thing. Lamar Jackson is asking for something completely unrealistic. And I guess I kind of get it from his perspective, okay? Last year, Deshaun Watson comes back after not playing for... More than a season. He gets traded to a team... Without playing a game. And the first thing that team does... Is give him a fully guaranteed... $240 million... Five year? I believe five year deal. That is unheard of. Fully guaranteed contracts aren't a thing in the NFL. It's not like the MLB where all contracts are fully guaranteed. No, contracts are structured in a way where some of the money is guaranteed or none of it. I believe that's physically possible. It never happens, but I believe it's possible for none of the money to be guaranteed. Or maybe there's a minimum. I'm not overly sure. Point is, you can control how much money is guaranteed and how much money isn't. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff to go into in terms of how contracts are really, how they work, what are the benefits of not fully guaranteeing a deal, why would you, why wouldn't you, all that good stuff. Point is, in a nutshell, they aren't like contracts in other sports because the money isn't fully guaranteed. It just doesn't happen, except for this disarm Watson deal, which changed the game, reinvented the wheel. And Lamar Jackson saw that. And now he's over here saying, if this player that, I mean, very good player when he played on Houston, right? But if this player that never won an MVP, never won a Super Bowl, never made a Super Bowl, if this guy can come back after more than a season of not playing any football, If he could just come back. Well. If a player that came back after all that stuff. Never won a Super Bowl. Never won an MVP. Never even made the Super Bowl. If he could come back and get that contract. Fully guaranteed. I, Lamar Jackson. As a former MVP. Who. Has pretty much put the team, at least the offense, on his back since his second year in the season. He deserves, or I deserve, if I'm speaking from Omar Jackson's perspective. I deserve a fully guaranteed contract, too. And so do do all these other guys. And I am trying to make the market better for everyone. And that's why. I mean, I just looked at my phone before starting the recording. That's why I see a notification from Bleacher Report saying players standing up for Lamar Jackson. Not because they actually care for Lamar Jackson, although they probably do. Not that they actually think he's being treated unfairly necessarily. They're not really doing it for him. They're doing it because they want the trend of players getting fully guaranteed contracts to begin. Because obviously, if you're a player, you want that. So Lamar Jackson is trying to make the Deshaun Watson deal go from an outlier to the standard for elite quarterbacks, such as Lamar Jackson. That's what he's trying to do. And from the player perspective, yeah, you get it. But then... I mean, there's a reason all these teams are publicly saying they're not interested in pursuing Lamar Jackson. It's not because they don't like Lamar Jackson as a player. It's not because of this bullshit narrative that he can't stay healthy, something I'll get to soon. It's not any of that stuff. It's not that he can't throw the football. It's none of that. I truly believe if Lamar Jackson... And Patrick Mahomes, right, if they were swapped in this situation and Patrick Mahomes was asking for what Lamar Jackson is asking for, I don't think he gets it. I think the best player in the league can ask for a fully guaranteed contract, no matter who it is, and they won't get it. I am 100% convinced. I truly am. Asking for a fully guaranteed contract. It just doesn't happen. The NFL owners don't want it to continue to happen. And letting it go from a one-time thing with Deshaun Watson to, oh, now it happened twice in two years. So now, what's it going to be, a -a once-a-year thing? Oh, now it's twice a year, three times a year. Oh, now all these quarterbacks are asking for fully guaranteed contracts because now five guys got it. Owners don't want that to become the standard. So that's what this is all about. Okay? And is it unfair to the players how, you know, when the most injury-heavy or I, I think it's the most of an injury risk. I don't know necessarily if it is the most injury-heavy league out of all the major sports. I mean, I would be very surprised if it isn't. But I can't say that for a fact because I didn't look into that. But in a sport that definitely has the highest injury risk out of any of the main sports. Why is that the one without fully guaranteed contracts? Why is the MLB the one that fully guarantees the players their money? How does that really make sense? And from a player's perspective, I get it. I do. And I'm not going to say, oh, Lamar Jackson's in the wrong. I'm not going to say the owners are in the wrong. I'm not picking a side here. I'm just giving you guys the facts. And the fact is that there is not a single owner in the league, other than the Browns owner, or a single GM in the league, other than the Browns GM, that is willing to, to give Lamar Jackson, or any player for that matter, a fully guaranteed contract. I'm 100% convinced of that. 100%. Well, a fully guaranteed contract north of $100 million. And that's what this is about. That's what this is about. The thing that I find really interesting about the trade request, though, and the main thing I think it changes, is now there's a bit of a question about whether or not Lamar Jackson wants to be in Baltimore. And now the question begins to get asked. Is this entire thing about money, or is it about him wanting to leave Baltimore? Or is it both? I think it's both. I do. I think he wants to leave Baltimore, because he's not getting his money. And I think that's the common thought. I'd be very surprised if this is all just because he wants to win. Something he very clearly wants to do. And I don't doubt that. I truly do think his main goal as a player is to win the Super Bowl. But I think he wants his guaranteed money on top of that. I do find it very interesting that he requested the trade before he got franchise tag, though. I can't get this confirmed, but I really do believe it was because the Ravens weren't going to give him the contract. I think the contract negotiation period was over between the two of them. I think all the contract no- negotiations, they were so far apart from each other during the process reportedly that he was just like, you know what, I'm going to try my luck with another team, trade me now. But then he ended up getting franchise tax, now he's on the market anyway. I mean, so nothing really changed with him requesting a trade. Either way, he was on the market. And either way, not a single team is going to try and trade for him because not a single team wants to give him this deal. Like, that's why I hear people talking about, oh, potential Lamar Jackson landing spots, like the Colts, like Washington, all that good stuff. I hear that, and I'm just like, no, 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 no. I don't think you guys understand. Not a single team in the league wants him. Not because he's a bad player. He's a phenomenal player. One of the best quarterbacks in the league. One of the most valuable players, if not the most valuable player, to his offense in the entire NFL. However, no one wants to pay him that deal. And you can't just trade for him and then, oh, we we really just traded. I don't even know how much they would have to give up in order to get him. We traded three first-round picks and probably more than that to get Lamar Jackson just for this one year and he'll play on the franchise tag. Like, no, that's not what's happening. If you trade for him, you are giving him his contract. You're not going to give up all those assets just to get him for one year and have him play under the franchise tag if he even plays under it. Let's talk about that. He might not even play this year. He might hold out. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Pull Le'Veon Bell. And I want to say this. I think that Lamar not playing at all is more likely than him getting the fully guaranteed contract that he desires. I do. Lamar Jackson isn't going anywhere until he decides and realizes that what he's asking for is unrealistic. And I think a big reason he hasn't realized that yet is because he doesn't have a real agent. He needs an NFL approved agent, not this Ken Francis guy that really came out of nowhere. He needs a real agent to get him to realize how unrealistic this contract request is. I I mean, it's not, it's not happening. It doesn't matter how talented you are. Like I said earlier, I legitimately think if Patrick Mahomes was a free agent and he was asking for that. He isn't getting it. He isn't. And does that mean he won't play another down? Yeah, unless he decides to finally change his mind. Lamar Jackson needs to learn that. The reason Patrick Mahomes would never do that, even though he would obviously like to, is because he has an agent to tell him not to. Lamar Jackson doesn't. He needs one. And it's clear. It's either that or he needs to understand by himself how to go about this. Because the way he's handling it is terrible. I mean, he's trying and he might end up holding out. But let me tell you, it's gonna—it's not going to change anything. He's not getting that deal no matter what. Now, I could talk about landing spots for Lamar Jackson. But like I said earlier, I don't think it's worth talking about until he finally settles down. If he does settle down and he's like, all right, I understand that what I was asking for is unrealistic. Let me ask for something that's, you know, plausible. And then I'll start talking about, oh, you know, what if he gets traded to the Patriots, the commanders, all that good stuff. But until then, it's not worth talking about. Because right now it looks like he's going to technically be a Baltimore Raven, but he's not going to play down. At least this year. The trade request doesn't change much of this, though. It doesn't. At least not from my perspective. I don't think he's overly angry with the fact the Ravens haven't gave him receivers. I don't think that matters to him as much as everyone really thinks it does. Now, let's talk about some teams that aren't the Baltimore Ravens because the Ravens did very little during free agency. I'm going to talk about the top five teams that really improved the most from free agency. Let me start with a little bit of an honorable mention. The Houston Texans. They brought in Dalton Schultz. At tight end. Chase Winovich at the end. Devin Singletary as a backup running back. Robert Woods at wide receiver. And Shaq Mason at guard. Listen, the the thing I really like about what the Texans did, they didn't make any outstanding moves, free agency-wise. But I think they made strides towards becoming far more watchable. Like, that's the thing. The Texans weren't really like fun to watch for anyone, especially not Texans fans. And I think these signings, bringing in a starting caliber defensive lineman, bringing in one of the better tight ends in the NFL in Dalton Schultz and the defensive lineman I was talking about earlier was Chase Winovich. Bringing in Shaq Mason at guard I mean, he's actually been all right. I mean, he had some good years. Last year with the Buccaneers, he wasn't anything special. But he's a starter, for sure. Devin Singletary to back up Damian Pierce. Now that rushing attack is a little bit more scary. I mean, they didn't do anything game-breaking. Although the deal with Laramie Tunsil, I don't think, was very bad. I think Laramie Tunsil... is very good and he's worth a contract like that. And lock him up for the long term is great, but it, it was a lot of money, man. And I think that they could afford to do that too. I think the reason they're willing to pay him that much is because they're not that good. They don't care about wasting a little bit of cat a little bit more cap space than they need to. And Robert Woods, I mean At least he's a veteran receiver to bring in. Like, none of these moves are really, like, wowing me. But I do like that they're starting to at least look like a team that can compete a little bit. Because, I mean, you look at that roster last year, they had nobodies. Nobodies all over. So let's start with our number five. A team that I probably wouldn't have had in this top five if not for a move they made yesterday night or two nights ago. I don't know if it was yesterday night or two nights ago, but they signed Bobby Wagner, a reunion with a future hall of fame inside linebacker. One of the most consistent players of my lifespan. Someone that has always made a great impact on every defense he played for. Is he the number one off ball linebacker in the NFL? Like PFF says, no. Is he still very capable of playing a role on a on an NFL defense? Yeah. And I think a linebacker core that has both Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks. I mean, that could do some damage. Again, I don't think Bobby Wagner is great in coverage. I don't think he's great at going sideline to sideline anymore. Well, let me tell you this. If you're running inside zone and you get past that first level of defenders, the defensive lineman, Bobby Wagner is going to make the tackle, and it won't be anything more than a five-yard gain. Absolute maximum. That's what Wagner does. He makes sure that when the play breaks, right, instead of allowing a 40-yard gain, it's only a five-yard gain. That's the thing that's great about Bobby Wagner, even still. He's a very nice piece to have in your defensive front because he prevents those long runs from being long runs. He makes the broken plays not so broken. Jordan Brooks will be a little bit more the playmaker to Bobby Wagner's, you know, safe play style that really raises the floor for this defense. And then bringing in Draymond Jones from Denver I mean, man, I like that a lot. Draymond Jones, he is one of the better pass-rushing interior defensive linemen in the NFL. At least last year he was. I mean, he was extremely capable last year. Having 45 tackles, 13 tackles for loss, one forced fumbled, 6.5 sacks. Again, as an interior defensive lineman, that's a lot. 17 hurries, 16 hits. On the quarterback, five knockdowns, 35 pressures. 35 pressures from the interior. The year prior, he had 34 and 5.5 sacks, 11 tackles for loss. Like, this is a great player to have. They aren't very good at getting pressure at the quarterback. Having an interior pass rusher is one of the main things that really help. that. You don't need to have an interior pass rusher, but when you do, it really helps your defense, especially if you're a defense that struggles to get pressure. All of a sudden, if you only have mediocre edge players, they are able to do so much more damage because teams have to focus so much on blocking the interior guy. And that'll really help them if they choose to draft a Miles Murphy or a Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech, as a young edge rusher, it becomes way easier to get to the quarterback if teams are worried about an interior defensive lineman getting to the quarterback. Because then the guard won't really help the tackle, he'll help the center. Focus on him, Draymond Jones, and now Tyree Wilson, or Miles Murphy, or whoever they draft. Can get to the quarterback way easier because he just needs to win a one on one. And of course, he's an asset against the run. And I think this run defense really bolstered up with the signings of both Draymond Jones and Bobby Wagner. And they also brought in Devin Bush, who's another good run defending inside linebacker. I like him as a death piece with upside, but he's been disappointing since his injury in his, I believe it was his second year. He got injured, and he really kind of fell off. But he's still a very athletic player. No longer a great player in coverage, but he can do some damage against the run. And I like him as a death piece for the Seattle Seahawks. Now my number four is a team that really just made two big, big, big moves. One of them was way bigger than the other, but the other one is massive and a lot of people are going to underrate it because it's a underrated player but real big nfl fans know and people that watched him right like you, i've actually heard a lot of people hype this guy up because so many people think he's underrated he might not even be underrated anymore and that is david long jr he was on tennessee last year and he was drafted in 2019 as a six-round pick out of West Virginia. And he really burst onto the scene in 2021, but this year also he was phenomenal. And he probably only got better this year. He's one of the few coverage linebackers that you could trust a decent amount. And I don't think that there's many. Like a lot of people say, oh man, I hate this, off- this off-ball linebacker because he sucks in coverage. But there's probably about maybe t- 30? 30? Total off-ball linebackers I actually trust in coverage, and that includes, like, backups that can't defend the run. But David Long Jr. is one of those guys, okay? And it's really hard to find an off-ball linebacker that can cover, and it's even harder to find one that could both cover and defend the run the way David Long does. Had 87 tackles last year, 11 for loss. I mean, he hasn't recorded a sack yet. They don't really use him like that too often. Although he did have 16 pressers last year. You mainly want this guy in coverage, and he could do some damage against the run, like I said. He can be your, like, stud off-ball linebacker. He's only going to be getting better. Like I said, he was drafted in 2019. So there's definitely upside here. And then, of course, they traded for Jalen Ramsey. I'm not as high on Jalen Ramsey as other people. But... Vic Fangio is their defensive coordinator. So I'm expecting a bit of a glow up from Jalen Ramsey. I think at one point he was phenomenal. Last year was a down year for him. People have to admit, I don't think he was a top 10 corner in the NFL last year. I'm going to be honest. His coverage skills weren't very good. However, his ability to make tackles from the cornerback position is still phenomenal. Right. And that's something that is very, very valuable. Also, like I said, Vic Fangio is the defensive coordinator. I think he can definitely take him at least a step closer to the prime Jalen Ramsey that we all remember. And we all seem to think he still is, which he isn't. But, hey, we're only a year removed from him being an elite corner. It's not impossible to believe he could go back into the top ten especially with Vic Fangio. And then I also like them bringing in Mike White, Miami. I do not expect him to start, right? I I think Tua is a very good quarterback, but I think Mike White is a very phenomenal backup for Miami because I think he can do the exact stuff that Tua is so great at, the rhythm passing, the quick passing game. I think he could do that stuff very well, very well. So when Tua goes down, and he will go down a lot of times throughout his career because, well, he is injury-prone. He was injury-prone in college, although I didn't expect him to go down with this many concussions. That sucks. But, yeah, I expect Tua to go down a couple more times throughout his career, and it's going to suck. But at least now they have a high-caliber backup that could step in and execute the offense very well because I do think Mike White is a very good scheme fit here. So I really like that. And then my number three would have to be a free agency class that I think people are underrating, the Denver Broncos, all right? So it's important to remember that they brought in Sean Payton, right? Which I don't count here. I don't count here. I'm talking about moves since the free agency period began or the legal tampering period. So, moves since, I think that was March 15th that happened. Moves since March 15th. So, I'm not talking about the Sean Payton trade. However, I do think that has a large effect here. At least on the first two signings I'm going to mention. I'm going to mention them as a group because they are very similar. Sean Payton, offensive lineman. What is the first thing that come to mind? If you know Saints football and you know Sean Payton you know the first thing that should come to your mind is a huge, gigantic mammoth that will just decimate people in the running game. And what were the first two signings Denver made in free agency? Mike McGlinchey, a large, run-blocking, stud, offensive tackle. And Ben Powers, a massive, great run blocking guard, who, by the way, he's pretty big. Both of these guys are just going to pave lanes wide open for Javante Williams, Samaj P. Ryan, whoever it is running the ball. And by the way, they brought in Samaj P. Ryan. That was also a signing that I really like. If Javante Williams can't come back to 100%. Sean Payton really has an eye for offensive linemen. He's been great at bringing guys in, for the most part. Not always. He hasn't had a 100% hit rate, but I am confident in these two. I do like Ben Powers a lot. I like Mike McGlinchey a lot. Both of these guys can be phenomenal run-blocking offensive linemen for Denver. And, well, I'd be very surprised if they aren't. So I think that their offense becomes a lot better if they could just run the ball, right? Because then you don't have to rely on Russell Wilson too much. And then when you do need to call Russell Wilson's number, hopefully he'll produce something that I do expect. And then on defense, continuing to dominate the line of scrimmage, they brought in Zach Allen, a young defensive end who could also play in the interior if needed. He's very versatile. From Arizona. Zach Allen, he was very similar to a Hall of Fame player that was on the other side of him. J.J. Watt, I mean, these two are like the same player. This guy is discount J.J. Watt with J.J. Watt-like upside, okay? And I'm not exaggerating here. He has the physical tools to be a J.J. Watt type, or maybe not quite J.J. Watt because he was, I mean, the most dominant defender or one of the most dominant defenders in the history of the sport, right? So maybe not quite J.J. Watt, but this guy has physical tools to be a J.J. Watt-esque presence. And I do think with the loss of Bradley Chubb, you need someone to take that place. Randy Gregory hasn't been able to do it yet. I think Zach Allen and Randy Gregory together, though, will be a great pass rushing duo. Zach Allen's also great against the run. I mean, phenomenal. He might, He's probably a better run defender than he is a pass rusher, but still very good pass rusher. Again, he's only 25. There's a lot to like about this guy. He had 14 tackles for loss. Great player. Him only being 25-2 just makes us so valuable. They paid a lot, and I think he's worth that money. A young edge rusher is hard to find, especially a proven one like Zach Allen. Now, my number two team that improved the most through free agency. Gotta be the Chicago Bears. They gotta be somewhere here, and I think this is the right place. I mean, they just made so many moves, right? Of course, the two linebackers they brought in, right, in TJ Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds, they might have the best coverage linebacker duo in the entire NFL. I just mentioned how I think off-ball linebackers, trying to look for one that can cover, trying to look for two that could cover is just downright impossible, but Chicago did that. They brought in two guys and paid them both a lot of money, but still, they brought in two guys that are very good in coverage. And they're also very capable tackle, tacklers. I do think they overpaid for Tremaine Edmonds. The TJ Edwards signing I like much more. But building around your off-ball linebackers as a defense, at least a young defense, definitely a strategy I could get behind. Because now the floor for your defense every given play is much higher, right? Because now that your two best defenders are off-ball linebackers, they can cover sideline to sideline, right? So your corner missed a tackle, oh, it's fine. You have TJ Edwards to clean it up. Oh, your defensive line sucks, so they all got moved out of the way. It's okay, Tremaine Edmonds, here he comes to make the play. But none of these guys are really like that. They're, like I said, better coverage guys. So eh, I don't love it, but still. It's not like they just made these two moves. They're moves I like. Don't love them, but I I like them. I see the vision. Then Robert Tunyon. I like that a lot. You know, just a death piece with Cole Komet. I think now you can run more 12 personnel, allowing them to really get more out of the running game that was oh so great for them last year. Demarcus Walker. That's a shining I like. I like DeMarcus Walker a lot. Very similar to David Long in terms of the fact he got very little recognition because the Titans were such a boring team to watch, but he's still a very good player that deserves a lot of respect. And he's young, too. I mean, there's stuff to like here. Their defensive line was lackluster. They bring in DeMarcus Walker. All of a sudden, you know, something to really fear. Like I said, young guys, so that helps them here. An underrated signing of theirs was Deonta Foreman. Pairing him with Khalil Herbert, who I also think is a phenomenal running back. I do really like that. I do. This rushing attack is already so scary because Khalil Herbert's great. And Justin Fields is a phenomenal ball carrier. I have other things I don't really like about Justin Fields. But I will give him this. He's a great runner. Giving them mini Derrick Henry. And yes, that's what Dante Foreman is. To pair with Khalil Herbert. Yeah. That rushing attack is probably going to be up there. Even with the offensive line issues, it's probably going to be up there. And then... They also made the DJ Moore trade, which was great for them. Great. Love it. Love it for the Bears. They didn't need that first overall pick. We all know this. Even if you don't like Justin Fields, you got to admit sticking with him is the right move. If you really think you can improve him, you got to stick with him, right? And the fact they got, well, first-round picks out of it, great. That's already. But then getting DJ Moore on top of all that stuff, oh, my God. DJ Moore is a wide receiver one for sure and a top 12 wide receiver in the NFL. I mean, all of a sudden, that receiver core looks 10 million times better. You have DJ Moore, a legit wide receiver one. Then you have a big body receiver in Chase Claypool, and then a very good route runner who can't really do much of the overly physical stuff in Darnell Mooney. Two players that are just polar opposites with DJ Moore who could really do it all. I love it. That Bears offense and that Bears entire team looks so much better after this free agency class. It really does. They still need offensive linemen, and they brought in a guard which is very good, but they need more. They really do need more. I would love for them to get Osiris Torrance from Florida in the draft. I think that that would be great for them because they love to run the ball, and Osiris Torrance, I mean, he can block for sure. He's a great blocker. Nate Davis, Was the offensive guard that they signed, which is definitely an improvement, right? Anything would be an improvement, but I think it might have been a bit of an overpay first off. I don't love Nate Davis, but I mean, it's definitely an upgrade. He's a starting caliber player, which was what they need. They need more for sure. Bringing in a guard, Osiris Torrance, I would love, but they probably won't draft a guard. They need offensive tackles, right? Still, though, stuff to like here. A lot of stuff to like. Demarcus Walker only getting $7 million per year is a steal. Let me remind you guys. So that that's like the main thing I love here. Now, let's talk about my number one. My number one really only needed three moves to get this number one. Let, let me say that. Because, I I mean, there was a lot to dislike about... Detroit defensively last year. But I think the number one thing that most people would agree on was that the secondary sucked. The secondary was bad. The secondary was kind of ass. And what did they do? What do they do? They bring in Cameron Sutton, who had a very, very good year last year. I mean, he was phenomenal. One of the most underrated players in the entire league last year. They bring in Emmanuel Mosley, solid cornerback too. All right, there's stuff to like there. Okay, solid, solid. And then they bring in a player who tied the league lead for most interceptions. A player that is very versatile, can play the slot, can play outside corner, can even play up top at safety. CJ Gardner-Johnson for only $7 million. Love it, love it, love it. That's great. That's great. I mean, they made upgrade after upgrade after upgrade, and they also brought in David Montgomery. They paid him a bit much for my liking. $6 million per year. I do think you can legitimately just draft a running back this year. That That's kind of like, I guess they didn't pay him too much, but at the same time, this is such a running back heavy draft. I would have just drafted someone in like the fourth round, fifth round. But I digress. David Montgomery is a good running back. Six million isn't terrible per year. Still, though, it's an upgrade. The Lions improved a lot just by improving their secondary. That secondary went from one of the worst to one of the best. I really do think that, especially if they draft someone, which they still can. Really like it. Really like it. That secondary is looking so much better, and as a whole, that defense looks better, especially bringing in Alex Angeloni. I thought that they were going to lose him, bringing him back. I mean, that's great. Anyway, that's all for this segment of the podcast. When I come back after this short ad break, I'm going to talk about something you have all been waiting for, my top five quarterbacks in this year's draft class. I hope that you're ready because it's going to be fun after this short break. And we are back. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast, and I am finally going to rank my top five quarterbacks of the upcoming draft class. Now, listen, all right? I'm going to keep it straight with you guys. I'm going to kind of spoil it. My top four are the traditional top four, and I'm sorry about that. And it seems like everyone has the same five people in the top five, just in different orders. For the most part, not all the time. Well, mine is like that with the top four. My number five is actually not Henan Hooker which is different than most people. Most people have Hendon Hooker 5. I have Hendon Hooker just outside of mine. Let me talk about Hendon Hooker really quick. I do think we're at a point where he's starting to get overrated a bit. So, he's good, like, for sure. If I'm a team and I draft him, I'm very confident in his ability as a quarterback. However, he... He's old, but that doesn't really bother me, him being 25 right now. Like, that doesn't, that's not like an end-all, be-all for me. Him coming off an ACL injury does scare me, though, because I do think his mobility, while it's not something he relies on a lot, I think it's the only thing he really has that really, like, drives it home for me. You know? I think the main thing that separates this guy from being just a, true game manager and the main thing that gives this guy upside to me is his mobility if that's gone i think he's a quarterback that maxes out as a low caliber starter and i think his ceiling takes a huge drop he's a good thrower but he doesn't throw the ball in any way that really breaks the game you know He's consistent, but I don't love him. I really don't. The pocket presence is good. You know, he'll stay in there. He doesn't really move around the pocket as much as you would like to see in a modern-day quarterback. He's actually really robotic in the pocket. He was a very good athlete before the ACL injury. Hopefully, he can recover, and then that upside is still very clearly there. And he shows the ability to make defenders miss. But I would like to see him use that more in the pocket more. And again, if the ACL injury happens, I don't know how much you want this guy running. Or the ACL injury really affects him. I don't know how much you want him running. And I also think he, as a runner, he reads blocks very well. Like, I think a lot of his standout traits are part of his running ability, which is also an asset of his that he doesn't use as much as he would like. But as a thrower, he definitely has the arm to threaten all de- all levels of the defense, which is great to see. And overall, he's just very accurate. His ball placement is spectacular. And he goes through the progressions well for the most part. But like I said, the ACL injury really scares me away from his upside because I do think most of his upside is upside is as a rusher. And I haven't seen him thrown enough into enough tight windows to really be excited. That and if I'm expecting him to be like this, you know, game managing quarterback, he hasn't really shown the ability to anticipate throws. He kind of needs to see it to believe it. He won't throw with anticipation. He won't really lead his receivers. He has to see them open. Right now, he can't just expect and that Lack of eye manipulation too comes with that, and that's something you really need in the NFL. Also, his footwork is poor in the pocket and really everywhere. It's fixable, but I don't know. I like Hendon Hooker. Like, if he gets drafted in the mid second, late second, somewhere in that area, I'm not going to hate the pick. However, there's people hyping him up to go into the first round. I've seen a mock draft where he was going to Seattle in the top 10. And I hate that. That would be horrendous. I think that that would be a terrible move. And I don't think he's worth a first-round pick. I think he's worth a mid-second-round pick at highest. I'm going to be honest with you guys. He's definitely capable. It's just the upside I, I don't really see. My number 5 instead is Jake Hainer from Fresno. You know, broke all of Derek Carr's passing records and all that stuff, right? Fresno State quarterback Jake Hainer. He's a rhythm passer with improvising ability. That's why I have him marked as His arm strength is very impressive. He's an above average athlete. The release is very quick. I mean, he's able to You know, as a rhythm passer, right, he executes these, like, quick passing game concepts very well. And that's because his release, I mean, he throws the ball. It's instantaneous, right? And, of course, to be a rhythm passer, you got to time your throws well, and he does that very, very well. And pre-snap reads like he – it's very clear he knows how to read the defense pre-snap. Like, you'll see him replace the blitzer with – a pass a lot, right? You know what they say, throw towards the blitzer, and he does that a lot. Like, it's something very common. And, you know, he's very good at seeing the blitzer based off tendencies, and, you know, you'd be surprised by how many times a linebacker just shows a very clear blitzing stance. Like, they'll have one foot very far forward, and, you know, all their weight forward, and a quarterback just thinks they'll have all day in the pocket. But Jake Hainer, you don't see that. And it's something that's far too common in college quarterbacks. And he has shown the ability to throw into tight windows. He has. You know, if you want to execute across the middle like Jake Hainer likes to, you got to be able to throw in between defenders into tight windows. And Hainer has the arm strength to do it, and he has the balls to do it. Something that you love to see in a quarterback. I want to see a quarterback... With balls, I want to see a quarterback that really has the guts to throw it across the middle, to throw the dagger through the tight window. I want to see a quarterback that has that kind of guts, especially when you have the arm to do it. And he's also very capable of putting touch on the ball, so it's not like he can only throw the ball with tremendous amount amounts of zip. Because, like I said, he's he has a strong arm. He could also loft it into the perfect spot. And I say perfect spot because he is very, very accurate. Very accurate. At all levels, too. However, there are issues here. There are issues. He's undersized. He is. And I said he was accurate deep down the field. But deep down the field, he could also be a little bit inconsistent. And age is also a bit of a problem for him. He's 24. And injuries have occurred a bit. And while he has a strong arm and is very capable of putting zip on the ball, deep down the field, he seems to kind of try and put too much air under it too often. And even intermediate throws, he tries to you know really loft it in there when he shouldn't. And in a quick pass heavy offense, you would think he would have more of an understanding of how to maximize yards after catch opportunities for receivers, but he really doesn't. Like, he'll really lead them towards a defender. Lead them in sometimes the worst possible spot to get yards after the catch. But the thing that I really like about Jake Hayner, I, I kind of saved it for the end because I really think that this is what differentiates himself. Although he's undersized and all that stuff. And, you know, it's worrying. There's definitely stuff to worry about with Jake Hayner. I do really like his ability to move around the pocket and really play backyard football when the play breaks down. So he's a rhythm passer, and he times throws well. But if that first read isn't open, and he moves on to the second read, and that isn't really open... Okay, he'll make some magic happen. He's very capable of it. And when you have a strong-arm quarterback that could make magic happen in the pocket, that's something that could always go well, no matter how short the guy is. I mean, it's almost been a recipe for success to have a quarterback that can move around the pocket and they have a strong arm. Like, that almost certainly guarantees you to be a great quarterback, right? So Hayner is a guy that I really like. I think he's less safe than Hendon Hooker. But I like his upside much more. And he might go after Hendon Hooker. I think it's really close between the two of them. It definitely is. But Hayner, I like more because the upside is there. And I think he's a little bit more fit for like the modern NFL. Number four. This is where I get into kind of the unanimous guys that seemingly everyone has in their top five for a good reason, because these guys are really like a tier above my number four is Will Levis. Now I will say this. He is branded as like this raw quarterback with a lot of upside, but I think him and him and the Gators quarterback, Anthony Richardson, they both are branded as that. And if I were to compare the two, I would absolutely say that Will Levis is the more fixable one. Will Levis has a higher ceiling. While the ceiling is still low, it's definitely higher. It's no secret that modern NFL teams today look for one type of quarterback. Not all modern quarterbacks, or not all modern teams, but most we're a lot, there's definitely an audience for the John Elway's. I want the quarterback that is the most similar to John Elway. A lot of teams want that. And that's fine because John Elway is kind of known for being the prototype to the perfect quarterback. He's like the ideal quarterback from the arm strength to just how he plays. He is the ideal quarterback for most coaches. Will Levis is the closest to John Elway in terms of how he plays. So, of course, that's going to gather an audience. I mean, the height and weight, already perfect, right? His arm is ridiculous. I mean, it's ludicrous, the arm strength he has. I mean, he can make these 60-yard throws effortlessly. And the pocket presence is very good. He'll stand there. And he'll be tough. And that's the thing about this kid. He's tough. Will Levis is tough. Okay. And he's shown glimpses of unbelievable ball placement. I mean, his best. At his best, if he can be the best. Like, if he could play all the way up to a ceiling. I mean, it's lights out. He'll be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, touch passing. Just overall, as a passer. Phenomenal. At least his ability at the ball from point A to point B. Phenomenal. He's also a very good runner. Don't get that twisted. He's not just a pocket passer. He can run. He can run well. And he played in a pro-style offense, too, in Kentucky. Right? So, you know, you got a good touch passer with phenomenal arm strength. Ideal size. Decently. Or not decently. He is very mobile. Very tough good pocket presence, all that good stuff. And, you know, he played in a pro-style offense, so what is there not to like? The decision-making has been poor. It has. And it's just the mental stuff, really. He locks onto the first read a lot, far too often. In the NFL, that will get you killed. That has been a death sentence for quarterbacks if they don't get it fixed. And sometimes he even predetermines his and kind of just throw it right to a defender when anyone with eyes can tell that it wasn't going to be open once the play started. Like, he doesn't really read post-snap, which is, yikes, in the NFL, that's a death sentence. And while he does have some amazing glimpses of just a phenomenal quarterback in terms of placing the ball at the right spot, there's also... Some clips of him not doing that at all and him being very inaccurate. So the accuracy is questionable. Although it's very good sometimes, it's also very bad sometimes. And sometimes he just holds the ball way too long. All these problems, though, are very fixable. So I think he is a fixable quarterback. He has to go to the right landing spot, though. That's what it's going to be about. If he could go to a coaching staff that knows how to coach him up, he's going to be the best in the draft, most likely. Unless Anthony Richardson also goes to a team that knows how to coach up a quarterback. Because Anthony Richardson, my number three, has more upside. And that's why I have him at number three. Because the upside this guy has, I mean, it's all-time great level. Will Levis' is also all-time great level, but this is, like, first ballot Hall of Famer, best quarterback ever in terms of athleticism type of shit. And I'm not exaggerating. His athleticism, you look at his combine numbers, unrealistic what he did. I mean, my God, people already heard about the combine so much, the combine times that he put up, but I'm just going to list it for you guys because, well, I mean... Even though you heard about it, I just need to state it again because it's just so ridiculous for maybe the one listener that hasn't heard it. The numbers that Anthony Richardson, quarterback, put up at six foot four, two hundred 231 pounds. He had a 4.43 40-yard dash. Again, he's a quarterback doing that. A vertical jump of 40 and a half inches and a broad jump of 129. The 40-yard dash time, by the way, is an all-time record for quarterbacks. Anthony Richardson is ridiculous, okay? And he plays at a speed like that, too. His athletic profile is absurd. And because of that alone, you have to just become aware. This kid, Anthony Richardson, maybe maybe gets drafted, sucks at quarterback. I wouldn't be become I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes a running back, or he's probably too big to be a running back, a wide receiver. Just play some other position because he's such a good athlete. Such a good athlete. And let me tell you, he also has a ridiculously strong arm, too, because of course he does. This is what would happen. I, I really love this description that Micah, that Chris Sims started using. Anthony Richardson is what would happen if Micah Parsons, one of the biggest, if not the biggest freak athlete in the entire NFL. What if he played quarterback? That's what Anthony Richardson is. But he also has a ridiculous arm. The pocket presence actually has improved severely. He's very raw. And it started off really bad, but during the season you could tell it was improving severely. And that really makes you that really makes you excited to watch him play. Because well, him slowly improving at a trade like that makes you think he'll slowly improve in the NFL. Kind of like a Jalen Hurts where he'll suck originally and then you know. After eight games, he's going to be way better at all aspects and then give him another eight and he's way better and you just keep watching him develop as a quarterback every single half season, every single season, right? He can read the field much better than he gets credit for too. Obviously, he's extremely fast, extremely difficult to bring down. His arm strength is ridiculous and his height and weight obviously ideal. And he throws on the run well. And except on vertical routes, he has some good good ball placement. The release is quick, but his throwing mechanics very bad. Throws off back foot way too much. He can be oblivious to blitzers. Sometimes he just doesn't read the field at all. I mean, it's the normal mental quarterback stuff sometimes he is completely inaccurate just completely inaccurate he shows some good ball placement sometimes but then other times i mean completely inaccurate and that seems to be what happens more so although he has a really strong arm it doesn't matter if he overthrows the receiver by a mile or he completely misses him i mean he doesn't time his throws well either there's stuff to like here All the physical stuff you like. A lot of the mental stuff you don't like, but there's some mental stuff you do like, and that makes you really optimistic that he'll improve because he showed improvement in all the aspects he's weakened during his one season as a starter. That's another thing. Only one season as a starter in college. Lack of experience, very concerning. Still, though, when you have an athletic profile like that, really difficult to leave you outside of the top three. I have to keep him here just because the upside alone gives him the ability to become the greatest quarterback ever, really. Now, let's talk about my number two. These two, I really think, are in a different tier just because they're way less raw, and they're more surefire prospects. Bryce Young from Alabama. Now, size this, size that, can he play? The answer is yes. That's all that matters. Will the size hurt him? You know, will he get hurt a bit because, you know, he's thin? Yeah. But he's good. He's really damn good. I don't remember the last time I saw a quarterback that could play backyard football the way this guy can. I mean, his ability to improvise in the pocket, it's crazy, right? He'll... Juka defender. He'll run around defenders. He'll just make plays while running. He throws on the run phenomenally. And while he's running, he keeps his eyes down the field, which is great. Something you always love to see. The play is never dead with this guy, a quarterback. Never. I mean, it's not just he's moving around the pocket well. He's moving around the pocket well while reading the field. I mean, D-backs have to play on extra couple seconds of good coverage because the normal amount isn't going to work because Bryce Young will throw in the face to, of defenders. He'll throw on the run, he'll make plays longer and he'll give receivers more time to more time to get open. And he also processes quickly most of the time. So that's very good, right? He's able to see the defense and really get a good understanding of what the defense is trying to throw at him right away. The ball placement very accurate. The release is really, really quick. I mean, my God, I don't know what's up with Alabama and having these quarterbacks with really quick release times, but hey, I ain't complaining. They're always great at releasing the ball on time. And the arm is strong enough to play, definitely strong enough to play at an NFL level. The decision-making is also good most of the time. But then you get to the cons, obviously the small size. And while his arm is strong enough to play an NFL level, it is not elite at all. It's definitely not a major strength compared to other NFL quarterbacks. And sometimes he might just lock onto that first read. But the main thing that I don't like about him is sometimes the pocket will be completely fine. And he'll he'll just leave it. Bryce Young will just leave. And that's a normal short quarterback thing. But I'm big on quarterback's ability to play in structure. I don't care how many amazing plays you can make off script. If you can't play in structure, I'm worried. I am worried. I'm hoping someone teaching him how to do that, how to stick in the pocket. There were a lot of times that his offensive line looked way, way, way worse because he just ran out of the clean pocket. That happens far too often. I think... He really struggles to play in structure. He really just makes everything become backyard football. And it's fine because he's really good at backyard football. But you got to be able to execute the common stuff. In today's NFL, you got to be able to execute the slants across the middle, the, you know, quick hitters. You got to be able to do that. And Bryce Young, he does it sometimes, but then other times he'll just make plays take longer than they need to or he'll just, you know, keep staring at one read when there's other players open on some other concept, and then he'll make moves in the pocket until that one receiver's open. And again, it's fine because it works. Will it work at an NFL level? I think it will. I don't know if it will work as often. He needs to learn how to operate in structure more. My number one is C.J. Stroud. I love C.J. Stroud. I love him, love him, love him. I just talked about how I like quarterbacks that can play in structure. C.J. Stroud is great in structure. But I also think people really knock his inability to improvise when he has that ability. He has it. He just doesn't really use it. We saw in the Georgia game, he is very, very, very capable of making these good plays off script when the pocket breaks down. He just doesn't really use that mobility and that backyard football side much, because he doesn't need to. When you have that Ohio State team around him, he doesn't need to often. His ball placement is near perfect. I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback that could place the ball in the perfect spot as as consistently as Bryce Young. Or sorry, as CJ Stroud. I don't know what I'm talking about. But Bryce Young can also place the ball well. So I guess that's not really a lie but the ball placement is just near perfect for CJ Stroud. And he throws into tight windows well. You don't see it often because Ohio State is just so good, but there's a couple of plays where you see him do it and he does it well. All right. I want to see it more obviously. In the NFL he's going to need to do it more, but when he did need to display it, he displayed it well. And of course, he times his throws very well, like I said very good under structure. And in order to be good in structure, you got to be able to time your throw as well. And like I said, if he needs to escape pressure, he could do it. He just doesn't need to do it often. And that's the good thing about him. He knows when to start doing it and when not to. And Actually, that's not true. Sometimes he doesn't do it when he needs to. But other times when he really is thinking about it, he starts to do it. He never does it when he doesn't need to. So that's good. But the problem is, sometimes he needs to and he just doesn't do it. And that's something you kind of got to coach up. But I think that's more of a mentality thing. You drill that in, I don't think that'll be too hard. He reads the field very well. He's an excellent touch passer. I mean, he's very good at placing air under the ball, as you would expect from someone with the ball placement that he has. Pocket presence is far above average. But the arm strength is only average. And... He struggles under pressure at times. And I think the main knock is he didn't really show his ability to create stuff, but I think he's very capable of doing it, so that shouldn't really matter. I'm expecting CJ Stroud to go to the Panthers at 1. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you want more content, check out NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is NoHuddleNFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter at NFL with an underscore at the end. And I'll see you all next week.